Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this evening, uh, if you uh, have a Bible and want to follow along, I'll be covering it. It's found in Mark chapter 14. And we're going to talk a little bit about soul refreshment. And in Mark chapter 14, you have the account of the Last Supper beginning at verse 12 that is probably the best description of the Lord's Supper as it ties into the Passover. Uh, Mark will talk about, you know, there were four different cups that were offered that night in the Passover. They drank two of them, and then uh, Jesus does the second one and talks about it being, uh, he breaks the bread and passes out and talks about the bread, and then they eat the roasted lamb. And after the lamb, he gives the third cup, which he identifies as being, this is my body. But the fourth cup that is mentioned, that was to be used in the Passover, Jesus does not drink. You'll hear that mentioned. That is that cup that he says he will not drink again until he sups together with people in heaven. Uh, you may remember in some of the old liturgy of the church that talked about how communion is the foretaste of that great feast which is to come in heaven. When Jesus then again sits with his people and they have that last Passover cup. But beginning at verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now I'm going to stop there and just to make one point here, uh, that this is an easy way to spot a man carrying a jar of water because men did not typically carry jars of water. Women did in that day. Men would carry water in skins. But it said, when you see him carrying a jar of water, you'll meet you, follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat of the Passover with my disciples? Again, I'll just stop there because Jesus says, you know, where is my guest room? It's obvious that he had probably made some prior arrangement, or perhaps this guy was one of his disciples. Verse 15, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. These two disciples made sure that everything was there. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Uh, of course, Jesus would have been staying out at Bethany, probably with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He comes in the night because Passover starts typically at sundown at six o'clock. And that evening Passover meal may last as long as six hours until midnight. <clears throat> and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. During these Holy Week times, I've been reading and rereading the story of the Passion. Uh, 
And each and every day I have been writing something that has to do with the seven last words of the cross or reading about the seven last words of the cross. And uh, the other day I fished out something that I've had in my files for a long time. It was published in the American Medical Journal. It's a description of what crucifixion was really like. And it is, is downright horrible. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you have a fairly vivid reenactment of it. But as you think about this, you know, death by crucifixion is just an absolutely horrible, agonizing way to die. Uh, the dehydration which comes before death was especially severe, so we can be sure that every ounce of humanity in Jesus' body was screaming out when he uttered those two words, I thirst. Now, without question, Jesus was severely thirsty as he was hung on that cross. I mean, his cry for a drink is absolutely normal and very human indeed. It was a cry for something wet, just to moisten his cracked lips and to soothe his parched throat. Now, in Palestine, in the days of Jesus, even today, during the afternoon, a warm and oftentimes scorching hot wind like a Scirocco comes and blows in from the desert. And the heat that it generates can wither vegetation when it's at its worst. It always sends people running for shade and cover. And no one stays out in the open during that time without protection, unless, of course, you happen to be one of three tragic figures slumped on a cross on top of a shadeless hill. As you remember, Jesus was pinned on that cross in the morning hours of Good Friday. Now, but before that... After the Passover meal on Monday, Thursday, he had been beaten with a whip at the order of Pilate. He'd been kept awake all night with questions and humiliating trials. He's making it nearly 48 hours that Jesus went without any rest whatsoever. And after that, he had to drag his own cross up a hill, the hilly streets of Jerusalem and out beyond the walls to that hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And arriving at that destination, Jesus was laid down and he was nailed to that old rugged cross, not some shiny little silver or gold one that we have. And finally, he is hoisted up and lifted up in front of a jeering crowd, absolutely naked. You never see a picture of that, for sure. But absolutely naked, exhausted, bruised, aching, and thirsty. And with those focused rays of that boiling hot sun... He reached the point where he needed some help to cope with the anguish of his fevered body. And so Jesus cries out for some compassion. He calls out for some merciful person standing within range of his voice to give him a refreshing drink to soothe his parched lips. And so he cried out those two words, I thirst. Now, I've often wondered, how could anyone hear those words from the cross and not feel the intensity of his suffering. I mean, too many times I think we think that Jesus really didn't suffer too much because, after all, he was divine. He was the Son of God. But we need to remember that mystery, that incarnation, uh, that he was just as human as you and I are. I mean, he suffered as much as we would. I don't know, have any of you ever gotten a, a thorn in your finger out of, you know, out in your rose garden? I mean, then you can imagine how, how painful it might be to have, you know, hundreds of them mashed down into your head. And the Lord suffered that for us. And maybe you walked barefoot as a child and you stepped on a nail. 
or had a large splinter go into your hand. And if so, you just multiply that pain by a thousand times. You'll be able to imagine the pain Jesus felt when those spikes were pounded through his hands and his feet. And the Lord suffered that for us as well. And maybe as you're cooking supper or cleaning fish or whatever, you've sliced your finger with a knife and you just kind of yelp out of pain. Imagine how it must have felt when Jesus was scourged and that whip ripped open his back and tore off huge hunks of flesh. And he suffered that for us as well. And have you ever really been thirsty? I know when Nancy and I travel sometimes, she's just like, I'm dying of thirst. We need to stop somewhere and get something to drink. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to go for hours without drinking anything and then hang on a cross in a blazing sun with a desert wind parching your skin? The Lord, too, suffered that for us. All I'm saying is we must never forget all that Jesus went through and all that just to redeem us from Satan's power and to offer us forgiveness and salvation. It's something we must never forget. That's why Jesus gives us on Monday, Thursday, something to remember. Because on Monday, Thursday, during the Passover, he instituted a very special meal some 2,000 plus years ago. It was a simple meal of bread and wine, but it has a powerful effect in the Christian's life. On Thursday night, he took a piece of bread from the table, said unleavened matzo, broke it handed it out to him and said, this is my body, which would be broken for their sins. And then he instructed them to eat it, to remember the pain that he was about to endure on the cross. And after that, Jesus took that cup of wine and he said that this is my blood, which is now going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And then he instructed those 11 disciples that remained yet to drink from that cup of wine in remembrance of the painful, agonizing way his blood was poured out for our salvation. That's what Monty Thursday is all about. And we often forget sometimes what Jesus has actually done for us. And so often we wander away from the close fellowship with him and say, well, that was a long time ago. What do we have to worry about anymore? I think that's one reason that Jesus gives us communion. Now, I grew up in a Lutheran congregation, a large congregation in Seward, Nebraska. And I can remember being taught in the Lutheran grade school about communion. And I was taught about preparing for communion and even memorizing parts of Luther's small catechism where he said, fasting and bodily preparation are indeed a fine outward training. In other words, that you would maybe forego eating before you came to communion or forego eating after six o'clock on Saturday night until you took communion. But it says he is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I also remember being told to prepare myself before I came to communion. Now, I would admit that there are many times that I've sat in church prior to becoming a pastor sitting in church, and my preparation was walking in the back door, looking up at the altar and saying, oh no, it's a communion Sunday. And I knew that the church I was in, that meant church was going to last forever. But, you know, I, I matured like many of you. I didn't do that anymore. Instead, I would get all the way in the church, 
And my preparation was when the elders or ushers stopped at my pew and nodded at me, which is, oh, hell yeah, I guess I'm going to communion. That was my preparation. But I think I've even matured a little bit more since that time, too, where I think about it when I remember. I mean, that's why Jesus gives us these special keepsakes, some special symbols to remind us of his love. He gives us the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And knowing the unfaithfulness of our hearts and how easy it is for us to forget exactly what this all means, Jesus gives us a special supper as a reminder of his sacrifice for us. I mean, the breaking of this bread is the breaking of his body for our sin. The outpouring of the wine is the spilling of his blood for our forgiveness. Now, Jesus thirsted because of his agonizing ordeal on the cross for us. And now Jesus is inviting us to come to his table. He is saying to each and every one of us tonight, come if you are thirsting for a closer relationship with him. Come if you are thirsting for a brand new start in life. Come if you are thirsting for the forgiveness of your sins. Come with repentant hearts if you are thirsting for the Lord who thirsted for you. Come and receive soul refreshment for your sin-shattered life. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Lord, that you have brought soul refreshment with these elements and given us the gift of life. We pray that we would be strengthened by this gift in faith toward you and in fervent love toward